everybody, and welcome to Friday night. You made it through the whole week. I forgot last night to say it was、um, Friday Eve. I guess that's how good the week went. <laughs> I don't know, but you made it. I made it, and the weekend is like. Well, for me, it's like 59 minutes away.、Uh, for you, I don't know how much more TV you want to watch than this tonight. But I'm hoping you're going to watch this whole show because I got a lot of good stuff. Starting with a brand new mugshot. You know I loves me a mugshot. You know I love those mugshots. Not just you know because of the prurient nature of seeing mugshots, but because mugshots tell you how inmates are doing. And in our system of jurisprudence, we want to know if prison works. We want to know how hard. Hard time is, and tonight I have the rogues gallery of before and afters of all the most famous felons and how long they've served and how hard that time has chiseled on their faces. I don't know if it's the retribution in us. I don't know if we're just Schadenfreudsters. I don't know why it is you love to see when an inmate's been in there a while and looks no worse for wear. Or worse for wear. So you're going to see a whole bunch of them. I'm going to start with that Caitlyn business in a hot minute.、Um, but then I also have this whole Tatiana business that I need to get to the bottom of. Tatiana Remling, we've been doing a lot of stories on on her and her husband Mark because, look, I mean, that kind of lady had it all. Look at her. She's a knockout. She's loaded with money.、Um, but then somehow she gets accused of putting out a two million dollar hit on her husband, rich husband. Um, because allegedly the guy she paid as the hitman was a cop, and so she's stuck in jail awaiting trial. And now all the knives are coming out. Like all her former friends and business partners and people who worked in her house, etc., have lots to say about that lady. And I'll tell you something.、Uh, I could sum it up in one word:、uh, succubus. <laughs> I actually have a really tough time saying that word because it just sounds gross. <laughs> But it's important to the story because that was a name that all these people called her behind her back, Succubus, <laughs> and Ursula. And it's not the nice Ursula because, like, my late mother-in-law's name is Ursula.、Um, but this is not the nice Ursula. It's like the Little Mermaid Ursula. So we're going to find out from an exclusive interview with a former colleague of hers who's going to open up the sheets, curtains, however you want to put it, on、uh, Tatiana Remley. Who she really was, what she was really like, and whether she should be exactly where she is, and that is cool in the high heels in、uh, in jail. Then I don't know if you watched this today. I just couldn't, couldn't like pick my jaw up off the floor.、Um, Ethan Crumbly two years ago was 15 years old, bad kid, horrible kid, monster, worst of the worst. We could say that. We could say all those things because he took a weapon to school and decided to、uh, shoot a bunch of kids. And he killed four, and he shot seven others who did not die, but literally have never got the same chance at having the life they used to have.、Um, he wrote all about it, saying, "I'm doing it, and I hope it's bad, and I hope I leave a mark." And today he found out how bad he really is. He spoke in court. He said his piece. It was jaw dropping, and then the judge said his piece. That was jaw dropping. The tone that he took with this kid, and the sentence that he leveled against this kid. He was 15 then. He's 17 now. He has been sentenced as an adult, and he's been told life, no possibility of parole. I do have a question for you. Please don't throw things at the television. 
Should we be treating um, kids like adults when it comes to life no parole? Because, look, if I went away, it'd be 40 years, right, before I die. Uh, He, it's going to be over 70 years. So there's some discussion to be had there. And then wait until you hear why he's not allowed to see his uh, parents. They're not allowed to see him. And they have not been allowed to see him for two years. So let's start here. May I introduce you to inmate number 0247508, the escape artist formerly known as Caitlin Armstrong. Uh, Caitlin has a temporary new jail home tonight. It is the Plain State Jail in Dayton, Texas. That's where she's uh, been undergoing some processing until she's moved to the state pen where she's due to serve out her 90 years for murdering Mo Wilson. Uh, Mo was the professional cyclist and Caitlin's love rival, you might remember. Caitlin serves the whole sentence. She's going to be released on July 3rd, 2112. I had to practice saying 2112. Um, she'll be 125 years old. And really, who knows you know, what's going to happen with modern science between now and then. Life expectancy could rock it. Caitlin does, however, get her first shot at parole in 30 years. But as they always say, even that first shot is a hell of a long shot. And then there's that appeal that she recently filed also. Hell of a long shot. We have watched Caitlin's physical appearance wither ever since the murder, the escape, the trial, the conviction. Being locked up has a way of changing a man and a woman. And in Caitlin's brand new mugshot, you can see the toll that punishment has been taking on her. I mean, this is truly the epitome of how it started versus how it's going. You know, we often see the process of punishment right up until that very moment the gavel comes down and the sentence is read, and then, like crickets. But it is something quite else to witness the actual effects of punishment. What each and every year behind bars truly does to a man, or a woman. And let's be honest, sometimes it really feels good when they look bad. Take the wild-eyed cult leader and mass murderer Charles Manson. Even nine life terms could not wiped the narcissism off his face, but it did chisel away at his physical person. While locked up in California, he violated prison rules more than 100 times before he got what I like to call toe-tag parole. That's when you get rolled out on a gurney dead with a toe-tag on you. It's the only way you're leaving. That happened in 2017. He was 83. Look at the difference. Prison. And then how about uh, serial killer BTK, Dennis Rader? He is still alive, but those 10 consecutive life terms, they have done a real number on him. He was first locked up 19 years ago when he was 59. Here is his most recent mugshot in Kansas State Prison just last month, now 78. Seems to be uh, aging at warp speed, or as his daughter puts it, rotting from the inside. It's hard to believe it was 43 years ago today, December 8th, 1980. Mark David Chapman stole John Lennon from us, shot him dead in Central Park. Chapman was just 25 years old when he was locked away. He's now 68. He's certainly lost a little weight, but otherwise, I don't know, not bad. Maybe prison agrees with him. Although he does keep trying to get out, but every single time... Every one of his 12 parole requests have been shot down since he even became eligible back in the year 2000. Uh, Sirhan Sirhan killed Bobby Kennedy back in 68 when I was just one. 
Robert Kennedy was a United States senator and a presidential candidate. Sirhan was sentenced to death at age 24. It was commuted to life then, so uh, he's been locked up basically my whole lifetime, and he is now 78 years old, barely recognizable. He's at the Donovan State Prison in California, and all 17 times that he's come up for parole, including earlier this year, the answer was no, denied. If there's anyone who's really shown us what, what punishment can look like, almost feel like, it is that lady right there, Lori Vallow. She is 50 years old now. She had that milestone birthday behind bars. And despite being a former beauty queen and a former hairstylist, she cannot hide the toll that prison has taken in the nearly five years since she killed her kids and her husband's late wife. Life in a cell block has absconded with whatever life Lori Vallow used to have. The Menendez brothers were young and preppy when they each started serving their two consecutive life sentences 33 years ago. They long claimed their innocence, and prison has clearly taken a toll. Um, They killed their parents saying that they were abused by their father and that mom let it happen. They're both at the Richard J. Donovan Correctional Facility in San Diego, and they're working towards getting their convictions tossed out in light of new evidence, they say. Watch this space on that one. Natalie Holloway's killer, Joran Vandersloot, is a shadow of his former self. In fact, he looks like the worst we've ever seen him. He is swollen, he's heavier, his skin is now ruddy. He finally confessed to killing Natalie in a deal where he pleaded guilty to extorting Natalie's mom. He's serving out his time in a very rough prison in Peru because he is also guilty of murdering a young woman in that country. Prison life has definitely been unkind to Jared Fogel. He is the former Subway pitchman who lost 245 pounds by eating Subway sandwiches. But his 2015 diet uh, changed even more drastically. It changed to prison food when he pleaded guilty to child sex and child porn. He's now 46 years old, and he's currently serving a 15-year prison sentence in Colorado. He's due to get out in five years on March 24th, 2029, when he's 51 years old. But sometimes hard time isn't quite as obvious as it should be. Take Susan Smith. She rolled both of her baby boys into a lake. She strapped them into their car seats, drowning them like that. She said that a black man carjacked her, but really she was the murderer. And all of that happened back in 1994. You would think that 30 years behind bars would break a man or a woman. But she looks healthier and younger than she did when she went in. Keep an eye on her, though, because she is up for parole again next year. Uh, remember Jody Arias? That's another dangerous felon who has defied the gravity of jail. Pardon the pun. Uh, that's not the right picture for Jody. Unfortunately, that's, uh, that's Caitlin Armstrong and that story. There's Jody. You can't miss her. This year, if you can believe it, marks 15 years since the brutal murder of her boyfriend, Travis Alexander. She is serving life, no parole, at Perryville State Women's Prison in Goodyear, Arizona. Jody was 27 when she went in. She is 42 now, works as a library aide. But has she really aged much? Alex Murdoch went from being a puffy, pain-pill-addicted, grieving widower to a lean murder defendant, 60 pounds lighter in pretrial custody before his conviction. 
But it remains to be seen if he's going to stay lean and sharp because he's now been sentenced to life for the murders of his wife and son and another 27 years for the financial crimes. Joining me now is Larry Levine, a former inmate who served over 10 years in 11 federal lockups himself. And he's now the director of Wall Street Prison Consultants, and he trains future inmates on how to serve their time safely, effectively, and best they can. Larry, when you see all those side-by-sides, what comes to your mind having lived a life? Well, some of those people are in denial. They actually, it looks like they're having a good time in there, and others are hard-timing it, where... It's like Jody Arias. You can tell she's all tore up. Charles Manson, he's all tore up. Remember that these people know that they're not getting out ever. So what do they really have to live for? And when you have somebody, maybe like BTK, he probably doesn't get outside very often. He's got bad personal hygiene. Maybe he showers, what, once every or twice a week or something? It's getting older, bad food, minimal exercise, few friends, and I'm sure he's got medical conditions. He's given up. He doesn't care. But some of these people, these mugshots that you've shown, they actually, they're smiling. It's like they're thriving inside, and I can relate to that. I thrived inside. I didn't let it get to me. I mean, there are several different kinds of criminals. You've got a situational criminal. A white collar, they're in a bad spot in over their head. They did something. They're generally remorseful, lots of guilt. They volunteer for staff projects, but they're regarded like as a kiss-ass and they're pro-law enforcement. Good chance they're going to rat you out. And they're looking for acceptance. These people are like minimum, medium hard timing. Then you've got the adventurer. They enjoy the rush. Doesn't need to do the crime. Likes to beat the system acceptance of the prison, accepts guilt easily, extremely confident. They roll with the program. Like, okay, look at this. This guy's got a smirk on his face. He's rolling with the program. He can really give it, you know, about most things. He finds prison, this guy, finds prison relaxing. And then you've got the greed-driven criminal. No remorse for their victims. Generally, they're in denial of their guilt. Everything is unfair And they constantly complain about everything. They file useless motions to get out early, and they network with other criminals on new schemes. These people are hard-timing it, and they're very, very insecure. Like, actually, look at the Mendez brothers. I mean, they don't have a prayer getting out. They can file motion after motion. You know, they're greed. It, It fits the pattern. Why did they do it? They, want, they claim their parents were abusing them. Maybe they did. They wanted their parents' money. This person here, he's not, uh, what is this, Eric Mendez? He's not hard-timing it at all. That's like a cross between a smile and a smirk. He's got absolutely no remorse at all. Nothing. But let me ask you this, Larry. Yeah, and I wonder about the Menendez brothers, because honestly, some of these fam- famous felons, they, they know that their mugshot's going to be out there. So maybe that's the smile. I don't, I don't know what goes through their mind when they get that snapshot. But I am curious about the guilty mind, like a, like a Murdoch. That guy was juggling so many guilty balls before he finally realized when the doors closed, it's over. I don't have to think about that stuff anymore. Do they sleep better if they're guilty? Like, can you tell who's guilty and who isn't guilty in prison by their relaxed nature? 
Okay, I was guilty as sin. The night I went in, I slept like a baby. I knew that I was screwed. A lot of people, you know, there's acceptance and there's denial. A lot of people are guilty and the system screwed me over. I'm really not guilty and they're up all night. The very first night they say in prison, you don't sleep. You hear and you listen to every little noise and your whole life like rolls in front of you. What actually got you there? Okay, this guy here looks like maybe he's put some weight on. Is that Murdoch? It's Murdoch, but, you know, the funny thing is we're missing the picture that shows him before he lost all the weight. I mean, he was real heavy before those pictures. Okay, you get people that are depressed when they go in there. They uh, pump up like a ballpark crank. They're putting Twinkies down, Snickers bars. They've kind of lost any motivation or ambition to do anything. They're not walking around the track. They're not socializing. They're like wallowing in their own depression. Okay, who is this on the screen? Who do we have here? That's Joran Vandersloot. Okay, he's the guy that killed, what is it, Natalie Holloway. He knows that he's never getting out. You know, he's got kind of a smirk also. He's staring into the camera. He's accepted prison life. You can tell by the look on his face. He probably has a program down. He's doing the same stuff every day. He knows he has no hope. That's for sure. Can I ask you this? Uh, from all the years that, that you had fellow inmates, cellies, uh, you, you know, interacted with other people in, in the prisons, do inmates who are put away for terrible things, do they ever feel sad or lonely that no one cares about how bad their life is? They're feeling sorry for themselves. I mean, I could equate to, you know, I run a consulting business. And I get these people that reach out to me and they're bitching and moaning about how the government ruined their life and the prosecutor ruined their life. And I have to tell them, look, you ruined your own life. You're the one that committed the crime. The government didn't ruin your life. And all they want to do is take advantage of all these programs to get out early. And, you know, they bitch and moan about everything, but you never, ever hear any of these people whether they're drug dealers or white-collar offenders, showing any remorse for their victims. And, if you know, I looked through the whole list of people you had on the screen. How many of these people are really remorseful? And how many of them are really in denial they committed the crimes? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, that's a really good point. Larry, it's always great to have your perspective on this. I appreciate it so much. Have yourself a good weekend. You too, Ash. Thanks, Larry. Coming up next, um, the fall from a millionaire's life to a jail cell is quite a tumble indeed. But such is the tale of Tatiana Remley. Bombshell on the left, inmate on the right, and yes, it is the same woman. If you watch this show, you know her story. The sex, the money, the excess, the men, and then the alleged murder for hire. The people who tell Tatiana's story best are those who know her personally. And after the break... Someone who was right there by her side is live with the Inside Scoop. I have to say this again, and I don't want to, but I have to because it's the journalism. If you've ever been called a succubus, (laughs) you probably did not like it. And then after you Googled it, you probably really didn't like it. Don't go doing it now. 
Just wait till the commercial. Uh, but it is not flattering. Neither is being compared to the evil witch Ursula from The Little Mermaid. But uh, that lady who's the flashy and glamorous Tatiana Remley, she was called both of those names and worse by the people who knew her and who tried to do business with her. And all of that name-calling meanness happened before she was arrested last summer for allegedly hiring a hitman to knock off her very, very rich husband, Mark. Look, the name-calling, the succubus business, all that, it's really the least of her worries. Because the guy that she allegedly offered $2 million to kill Mark, that guy was a cop. And Tatiana's now facing solicitation of murder. So she's cooling the high heels in jail. We've talked a lot on this program about Tatiana and Mark's, I don't know if unique is the right word, but totally weird 12-year marriage, the kinky sex clubs, the prostitutes, the failed equestrian show, the softcore porn TV series, and the fake stage names, and all of that business. But tonight, a News Nation exclusive. I'm joined by an early business partner of the Remleys, when the couple created the Cirque du Soleil-like show uh, involving horses, with Tatiana as the star. Um, Alethea Crawford now joins me. She uh, performs in Gladius, an equestrian show based in Las Vegas. Alethea, thanks for being here. I just get off the bat your reaction to hearing that Tatiana was arrested. I mean, you guys were business partners, failed business partners, and obviously things didn't go well. But being arrested for something like this is, is pretty, it's a pretty big deal. Yeah, it's a big deal. It was shock, very shocking news, you know, because it's murder. Um, but it, it was not a surprising feeling. Like, none of us were very surprised to hear it just because everything that always surrounded them was so tumultuous and crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's the curiosity that I have, right? The tumultuous and the crazy and the kinky and all, all the rest of it. But if you ask Tatiana, she says things were abusive, that she feared for her life around Mark, that he was violent, he put a gun to her head, that he allowed friends to, to rape her. Did you see anything on that side of the ledger uh, that would ring true? Um, I definitely never saw anything like that. I would never... Obviously, I don't know the whole story. I don't know what happened behind closed doors. But um, everything that I ever saw of Mark was he was the kind of person that would maybe be a little bit bullyish behind a computer screen. Um, but he was never threatening to anybody like in person. And he always seemed very like meek and feeble and kind of nerdy and wanted to be kind of like the cool kid. But he wasn't, you know, <laughs> like that. There's also this odd sort of connection um, about uh, your other business partner, Eric, and, and Tatiana sort of secretly trying to scheme a, a plot to, to sleep with him and maybe include that whole bit of business on that Naked Sanctum show, which was the, the very kinky, softcore porn show that was on, um, it was a cable series. Yeah. We, we actually didn't know anything about that show, but uh, years after the collapse of Valatar, which was the project that we did with them, uh, Mark had reached out to my business partner, Eric, and said, hey, we want to, you know, we're sorry about how things went down. We've got some things to, like, propose to you, a new business adventure. And, um, you know, we kind of responded and said, we're not going to meet up with you unless there's a lawyer in the room or our new business partner, a third party. And then we found out later that that was more of, like, a proposition for that. <laughs> For, well, I'll I tell guess you I what, Alethea Crawford, 
I, I'm just glad you're here to sort of shed some color on this because sometimes this stuff doesn't sound real. It's so crazy. But I'm going to call you again because we're not even at trial yet. So I hope to, uh, I hope to be able to, to speak with you again when we have a few more facts. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, thank you. Alethea Crawford, uh, good to see you. Still to come and straight ahead. Um, he was just 15 when he shot up his school killing four kids, injuring seven others. And the judge today was on fire when he sentenced that boy to life, no parole ever. Judge was seething in anger. But should we be sentencing kids to adult terms like that? Because on average, adults might live, you know, 30 to 50 years of a life sentence, no parole. But a kid like him, he'll be in a box probably more than 70. And why has this kid been denied from seeing his parents since the day he was arrested. The dramatic moment that he faced with his victims in the courtroom today and all of those other mysteries next. You rarely hear someone sentenced to over 70 years in prison. Even life without parole is typically shorter than that, right? I'm not gonna live 70 years if I go into the clink. But when you're 17 years old and you hear the words, life, no parole, uh, it means you're gonna live in that box for the next 70 years, give or take. And that's what happened to Ethan Crumbly today. He was 15 when he shot up his school in Michigan two years ago, killing four innocent kids, injuring seven other innocent kids. They have their own life sentences. Today, he got life, no parole, 17. He pleaded guilty last year to one count of terrorism causing death, four counts of first-degree murder, and 19 other related charges. During the victim impact statements, there was a request that the media not show his face in court. And normally, I honor those types of requests because I don't want to glorify mass shooters. Today, however, is different because this is not a typical sentencing, nor is this a typical defendant. He doesn't look like the rest of us. And he doesn't look like most other mass murderers because he is still a kid. And if you're going to put a kid away for the next 70 years, give or take, it is important that we see this process with our own eyes. Take a look. I'd like to thank you for letting me speak, Your Honor. Um, you're all here because of me today, what I did. My actions were because of what I chose to do could not stop myself, but I am the one who led to why we are here today. I do not diminish any ability to anyone who could have stopped me of any one of a school or parents. They did not know, and I did not tell them what I plan to do, so they are not at fault of what I've done. I am a really bad person. I have done terrible things that no one should ever do. I have lied and not trustworthy. I've hurt many people and that's what I've done and I'm not denying it, but that's not who I plan on to be. Whatever sentence it is, I do plan to be better than I am. I don't know if you'll believe that, but records of 15, 20, 25 years can show that it will change. Because it may not show it now with only two years of records, but I am trying and all I want is for the people I hurt to just have a final sense of culpability that justice has somewhat been served in any fit capacity that 
they can recognize it with. Um, any sentence that they ask for, I ask that you do impose it on me because I want them to be happy and I want them to feel secure and safe. And I do not want them to worry another day. So I really am sorry for what I've done, for what I've taken to them. I cannot give it back, but I can try my best in the future to help other people. And that is what I will do. So thank you. 17 year old boy, 15 years old at the time of his crime, being treated as an adult, sentenced as an adult. And you can say what you will about the horrifying carnage that that killer exacted upon so many innocent people, kids themselves with loving families left in shambles, other kids who will also live as gunshot survivors. Try and figure out what that means. But you also can't ignore something else, that that 17-year-old boy has been judicially orphaned since committing his crime at age 15, and I need to explain that. Just days after the shooting, his parents, Jennifer and Jason Crumbly, were arrested themselves and charged with four counts of involuntary manslaughter for not doing enough to stop their son's rampage. And if convicted, they each face a maximum of 60 years. So I say Ethan Crumbly has been judicially orphaned because those parents have not seen their son since the day of the shooting two years ago. They ran for the border fearing that they'd be arrested. They were caught. They were jailed separately. No bail because... Why? Flight risk, obviously. And since we all know that inmates can't visit other inmates, the shooter hasn't seen his parents since he was arrested. The parents haven't seen each other, nor have they seen their teenage son since he was arrested two years ago. In October, Crumbly's parents asked if they could attend today's sentencing, and they were denied. But there is a chance they're never going to see him again. It may or may not sit well with you that children can be sent away forever without having first or ever seen their parents, despite how horrible they are. And Ethan Crumbly was despicable. But this case is unique, and I want to bring in Stacey Honowitz. She's an assistant state attorney for the Sex Crimes and Child Abuse Unit in Florida. Just first, Stacey, your, your reaction to life no parole for a 17-year-old who was 15 at the time he committed the crime. Well, I can't say that I'm shocked or surprised about that sentence at all. And I think the general public would say to you, that is the only sentence. I mean, we're down here. We had the Parkland shooter. You know, he was up for life or death. He got life. And I just think that when you look at this case, there's no other way to say that the, that the public can be protected. You have a mass shooter who goes into a school. He kills four kids. He traumatizes everybody around him. And I don't know how you walk into a courtroom and say, judge, give him less than life or let him see the light of day. Now, you will have people that will argue he needs to be rehabilitated. He's only a child. Well, I don't think that the parents of those kids that were killed are ever going to see it that way or or the or the people that watch this roll out every single day. We see we see these in, we see it on the news every single day. So, uh, you know, let me for play me, for you. Computer, that's what it would be. It would be life without any parole. Let, let me play for you and for our audience. Um, Sound, sound from court today from one of the family members of, uh, of Madison Baldwin, who he murdered, one of the kids he murdered. Uh, Crystal Baldwin is, is her aunt, and this is what she said in court. He knows the difference between right and wrong, yet he still followed through knowing the consequences. He stated in his journal he was ready to spend the rest of his life in prison. I implore you to grant him his wish and sentence him with life without the possibility of parole. 
Stacey, it is hard to imagine what the families of these four murder victims are going through. It's hard to imagine what the survivors are going through, what the whole community is going through based on what uh, that killer did. Um, at the same time, his attorney says he's different, he's remorseful, he's on medication, he's seeing a therapist, he's got positive adults um, in his life. And it, it's hard to sort of think between a 15-year-old, um, I get it, a 15-year-old knows not to murder everybody, but a 15-year-old is different than an adult as well. And yet the judge said this is for private and public deterrence. Is it going to be? Is it actually going to deter the next school shooter, whatever his or her age is going to be? Well, I don't have a crystal ball. I can't predict. But, you know, we do sentence in the hopes that it will deter another person from doing this, and hopefully it will. And, you know, Ashley, I know we talk about, you know, the parents not getting to see him or the parents, do they are they responsible? You know, your viewers have to know that there was a lot of evidence that these parents did know. They knew about these text messages. They gave him a gun knowing that he was having these problems, knowing that he talked about shooting. So when we look at this all in the totality of the circumstances, we have to say that there is responsibility here for the parents. And you're right. At 17 now, he has taken responsibility. He stood before the court. He said, give me whatever you feel the victims need. And many times we hear defendants get up and they ask for mercy. They say to the judge, I know I did yeah. these things, but I'm asking you to please give me yeah. a, lenient, a lenient sentence. You didn't hear it here. So he has taken responsibility, but that doesn't take away from what the underlying charges are and what he did. I feel I feel a lot less for the parents, I'll tell you what, uh, than, than I do for the kid. And I feel very little for, for the kid, but I can't help using the word uh, kid. Stacey Hanowitz, good to see you. Thank you for this. Thanks, Ashley. Coming up, when Dorothy Spinella left work four years ago, she was viciously attacked by her ex-boyfriend. Dorothy was doused in gas, set alight, and nearly burned to death. It took a while, but that ex-boyfriend just faced a judge and heard what's about to happen to him now. Dorothy Spinella is next with her reaction after the break. Dorothy Spinella should not be alive today. She just should not be alive today. And thank God she is. And the reason that Dorothy should not be alive today was because of what happened to her when she left work four years ago in Detroit. She left her shift at the restaurant, and suddenly a man out of nowhere doused her with gasoline and set her ablaze. This is Dorothy before that happened. Um, and you should know that it is a miracle she survived the inferno, but it was not without a miraculous team of specialists who helped her to recover. Uh, here's what happened. More than 40% of her body was burned. She went through more than 30 surgeries. She was in a coma for eight weeks, but she survived. And she knew who did it. She saw him. She knew him. She had dated him. It was her ex-boyfriend, his name, William Gary Helmer. Remember that name, William Gary Helmer. And then you can forget that name because he just had the book thrown at him. And when I say the book, uh, he's 67 years old and he just got sentenced to minimum of 40 years, which if you're 67 is basically life, no parole. And the judge was, um, was not about to just leave it at that. The judge had a few things to say as well. Have a listen to this. Uh, 
after sitting through the trial, viewing the photographs, observing the psychological effect that you've had on the victim, I've come to one conclusion. You are a cold-blooded human being, and there is no justification for your actions. Cold-hearted human being indeed, and he will be probably kind of cold in the cell he's about to live the rest of his life out. I doubt by 100 he'll get out for his first parole opportunity. Um, I am so pleased to be joined by Dorothy Spinella and her son Brian, who's been her caregiver all the way through this. Welcome to both of you and thank you for being on the program. Dorothy, if I can just start with you, how are you doing? How, how are you and what stage of your recovery are you in? I'm doing very well. My uh, disposition is wonderful. I'm having a... I feel ever since he's been sentenced that I've been reborn again. So I'm celebrating that. Put that in the past and go forward. Well, and I'm celebrating that you are able to. Way. A long way. Absolutely. Can you tell me um, the, the reaction? I mean, even the judge in the sentencing had a reaction. Judges don't often make comments like that, but when they do, it makes news. What was your reaction when you heard 40 years before he ever gets a shot at parole? Oh, the prosecutor called me. I didn't go for the sentencing. I didn't feel the need to. But when the prosecutor told me 40 to 80 years, I had tear coming out of my eye like of happiness and relief. Oh, yes. I was so pleased with that. You know, um, domestic violence knows no bounds. We have just, we've covered horrendous stories. I think yours would be right up there in the very top. Was there a motive? Did he ever give any reason to you or anyone else for that matter why he did that despicable thing to you that night outside the restaurant? No. The only thing I can... Add to that is when I left him, he kept trying to call me, call me, call me. I wasn't answering. Every now and then I would, and he did say he had a problem with abandonment issues. That's all I know. My God. You know, Brian, you are um, amazing. As a son, you have cared for your mom. I know that uh, you said that you had wished the sentence would be longer. Uh, at 40 years, I mean, it's the equivalent of, of life no parole because 40 years, he's, in, he's into his hundreds by then. Was it at all satisfying to know, however, that he will likely die in prison? It's slightly satisfying, hmm. yes. Tell me what it was like when you heard that sentence. And were you in the courtroom for that? No, no. My mom called me and or texted me the uh, information on it. And when I heard that he had a minimum of 40 to 80 years, I was like, that's almost a life sentence in itself. And uh, it could be more, but I'm not going to gift horse in the mouth. I'll take what I can get. Our judicial system obviously needs a lot of reform. Yeah, I, I would love to know, um, as a son, I mean, you're, you're a mother's dream that you've been looking after your mom for these last four years. Brian, how has it been for you, and how has it been for your mom? Well, um, it's been difficult. It's had its challenges. Yeah. But we somehow worked through them. 
mom could be probably in a better better place in life, but she's content right now. Mm-hmm. She's able to, you know, do things for herself that she hasn't been able to before, but she's able to take care of herself again now. Yeah. She has that sort of uh, solitude of, um, what's the word? Peace of mind. Uh, we'll go with that, yeah. Peace of mind. You're, you're both remarkable, remarkable people. And Dorothy, I know that your long-term goal is to be an advocate, uh, vocal advocate uh, for yeah. the, you know, women who are abused and battered. So God bless you for that. Thank you for, for doing this today. Thank you yes. for having the strength and conviction to survive what you went through. I want to mention to our audience if they want to help you, because I know this has been a financial struggle as well as a physical one. You have a GoFundMe. It's called Dorothy, Rebirth of My Life, Restarting Over Today. So if our audience wants to help you out, um, that's where you go for the GoFundMe. Uh, Dorothy Spinella, Brian Morrissey, thank you both, and God bless you both. Hey, thank you so much. God bless you, too. And still to come, it is hard to believe, but Monday marks 15 years since the remains of two-year-old Kaylee Anthony were discovered five months after she vanished. The ensuing murder trial of her mother, Casey, was a media circus before ending with Casey's dramatic and highly controversial acquittal. The debate about her guilt or innocence continues to rage today, and it seems like we'd really never know for sure what happened to Kaylee until now, maybe. Because we have new and exclusive information that appears to disprove once and for all the defense's theory of how Kaylee died. Details next. I can't believe it. Uh, Because this coming Monday marks 15 years since Kaylee Anthony's remains were found in a swamp in Florida. And I have been on this story since day one, every day in that courtroom. And with that anniversary, uh, we've got some bombshell information that seems to disprove what I heard the defense uh, and their theory of how they opened the case of how two-year-old Kaylee died after Kaylee went missing. Uh, But before her mother Casey was tried... Casey was released from jail for eight days and spent that time holed up in her family's house with her. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.